Well, we're almost here. It's almost NFL, AFC, NFC title weekend. And uh, I can't believe how fast the playoffs have gone. I can't believe how fast this week has gone. I think the big question has been answered about Pat Mahomes' uh, you know, ankle. He did practice Wednesday. But I know my next uh, guest, as always, Terminal's Take, has a take on everything when it comes to this playoff. So, you know, I could live with last weekend as long as the Cowboys were knocked out. Let's start there because I know the Giants didn't farewell, but hey, at least the Cowboys didn't advance further than the Giants. I can live with a weekend like last because who really expected them to beat Philly anyway uh, as far as going into the weekend, right? Alex, yes. Thank you for having me again. Uh, If Philly was ready, they were, they were totally prepared. Uh, I mean, the Giants did a nice job this year. Uh, they were just overwhelmed by uh, a team that has uh, advanced in their development, and uh, they're on the precipice of, of a Super Bowl championship, potentially. Um, you knew early on. You knew from those first two possessions that the Giants were, were in trouble. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, – Brian Dable went for it on that first possession from the Philly 40, and when he didn't make it, you know, he gave Philly a short field. But I think uh, Dable knew that he might have to match Philly drive to drive, and they couldn't do it. I mean, uh, the only thing that surprised me about the game on Saturday night, Barkley only got 11 touches against Philly. Um, And even the week before against Minnesota, uh, he didn't get as many touches as I thought he was going to get. So that surprised, that surprised me a little bit. But the, the Giants roster has to be improved uh, exponentially, and uh, we'll see what they do in the offseason. Um, but, again, we were uh, to feel, it was a feel-good story, but uh, in their last 10 games, the Giants only won three of them. So, and they were 0-5 against Philly and Dallas. So they had some work to do, but a po- positive step for the Giants uh, for sure, no doubt about it. And I know some people were critical of, of Daniel Jones' last uh, performance last week. You can't look at Daniel Jones. It was just the Eagles, who are a better team than the Giants at this stage, has nothing to do with the quarterback. People jump on the quarterback. It's low-hanging fruit. That's what happened with Dallas and San Francisco. Prescott ha- did not have a good game. And if he did, maybe uh, they would have... They, they would have advanced and be playing in Philadelphia this weekend. But uh, the Dallas D-line was excellent, and uh, they chased Brock Purdy around. But um, Prescott, coming off a great game against a bad Tampa team, really was, was bad on, uh, on, on, on Sunday. Uh, Dallas needs another playmaker or two uh, in this offseason. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott is just a short yardage runner. Obviously, he has, there's a lot of wear and tear on his body. Tony Pollard with the broken leg, that hurt them. But they need a receiver. They, you know, they missed, uh, they missed uh, Amari Cooper last week for sure. But again, uh, that, was, that was a downer for Dallas. That's for sure. Uh, not good. San Francisco, I mean, I, as I said to you last week or the week before, I think they're the best coach team in the league right now. Uh, Shanahan has him ready for any situation. He can plug guys into their system. Um, they have positionless players like Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey has that calf lower leg injury that we're going to have to see. He says he's ready to go. Elijah Mitchell got banged up. But they're, 
they're the best coach team, but what Philly this week is an interesting matchup, and I'm not one to making predictions, but I think Philly, I think Philly's going to to advance in the in the uh, in the NFC. I mean, each round the pressure mounts, and and Brock Purdy has been tremendous. He wasn't great last week, but he was good. You know, you just, this is the first time for him. Now reality hits. He's one step away from the Super Bowl. We'll see how he reacts. That's for sure. It is. It is interesting to see his rise after coming in for Jimmy G and and just totally taking this team on a journey that uh, I don't know if many Niner fans expected when he took over under center. All right. Uh, on the other side of town, and I I do think it's going to be the Eagles. I just I just have this feeling, and and you know what it. it It'd be fun to watch Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl. I'll be honest about that. I think that would be very fun to watch. But we'll have to see what's going to happen. Now, on the AFC side, I mean, just because partly uh, I like WKRP in Cincinnati, I'm I'm leaning toward the Bengals um, because I also like what Burrow's been doing again this year, and I think that he's got a number on Mahomes. He had it last year. Why not try it again against him, right? Well, they've beaten – the Bengals have beaten uh, uh, the Chiefs three times in 13 months. Uh, Mahomes seems to be healthy. He, I just can't see how he could be 100% healthy. But um, this is the thing. This is the one thing that that uh, I learned from last week's game, and I think the Bengals probably learned from last week's game too. I hope they did. Uh, you can't allow Travis Kelsey as what much as Mahomes. And uh, Travis Kelsey have amazing chemistry with each other. He was always wide open, uh, Alex, last week. Always wide open. The Bengals have to make sure that they that they cover Kelsey. They have to get beat by somebody else. They got to take Kelsey out of the game. I mean, he had a, he had ten, eleven catches in the first half. He had fourteen catches for the game. I mean, that has to be Cincinnati's number one priority on the defensive side of the ball. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, you, you said it. Burrow is at is right now playing at a high level. He doesn't get rattled. Uh, I I think if I had an MVP vote for the regular season, I would have voted him most valuable player. I I agree with you. I lean towards uh, Cincinnati uh, on Sunday. I think we're going to see a Cincinnati Eagles Super Bowl. But the one thing with these four teams in, no matter what the combination, no matter what what the uh, matchup is going to be if it's San Francisco Cincinnati, uh, if it's San Francisco Kansas City, if it's if it's if it's Philadelphia and uh, Kansas City, any matchup, it's going to be a great Super Bowl uh, on February twelfth. That's for sure. I can't believe it's February twelfth, uh, right? Like it, it, that, that extra week is just driving me crazy. By the way, did you know what happens a week from this week? A week from this Sunday is flag football. Pro Bowl. They're not going to ever dare make NFL football flag football in the regular season. This is not well, fair. Right? Let's let's hope not. But again, many times the Pro Bowl, especially in the last years, the last fifteen twenty years, was almost like flag football because nobody was tackling each other. Uh, if they want to have these skilled events, these what they want, whatever they want to do, just to to keep some kind of interest that weekend and to make some more money, that's fine. But um, who's going to be watching, really? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's crazy. Um, but, again, a couple of years ago, the NFL 
skill games at the Pro Bowl, and uh, I believe uh, Williams, the running back to New England, tore up his leg in some kind of stupid uh, uh, sand football competition. And uh, uh, you just got to be careful. I wouldn't want not my, let my guys play in any of these things, but what could I say? Uh, see. You know, one thing about that Dallas-San Francisco game that didn't get any attention that day on that amazing catch by Kittle, to that amazing catch by Kittle when the score was 9-9 in the fourth quarter. Uh, he lined up that was, the, that was the Montana Clark moment, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. That was the Montana Clark moment, if I, if I may say so myself. Even though it wasn't a touchdown, it was as remarkable a catch. But Kittle uh, lined up uh, illegally. He uh, did not, because he was covered and he was on the interior, he was supposed to announce. You know, when they announced uh, an extra tackle, and uh, he didn't. Uh, but uh, Gene Steratore said that he lined up illegally, and it seems that he did line up illegally. But nobody picked it up during the game, and uh, uh, that hurt Dallas for sure. Uh, so, But it's not going to cost Dallas. I see that uh, Dan Quinn is coming back as, offensive, as their defensive coordinator. I thought for sure he would take one of these jobs. Um, McCarthy's coming back, it looks like. And I'm I'm not sure if Sean Payton's going to be coaching next year, and I'll tell you why. The teams that are, are out there, Carolina named Frank Reich as their as their coach yesterday. I know that Payton interviewed with him. He interviewed with Houston, but there, there's compensation to New Orleans. Houston's not giving up the number two pick in the draft with all the talent woes they have for a coach at this stage. Um, neither, is, uh, 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 neither is Carolina. That's why they went with, with Wright, because they, they had a top 10 pick. Uh, he may not coach this year. And I think that might have saved Mike McCarthy's butt. Because well, that Jerry is, Jones I'm, I'm was surprised. not happy. Of course he wasn't. And he's never happy, but he always sticks with his guys till the fans almost mount a lot of pressure on him, which... Maybe he hasn't felt enough of yet. I I don't know. But uh, but you're, you're right. And the thing the, the thing is, he is unlike any high profile profile owners. He gives his coaching staff a lot of rope. He's not uh, spontaneous and gets rid of guys right away. That's one thing you unlike can look at. I don't know about that guy, but he, you know, unlike some guy named Ursay who puts on a a non coach to coach the team the rest of the year, you know, I mean, we have that guy too. So. Yeah, no, you're right. And you and correct. Saturday may not get the coaching job, right? I mean, can we can we? Well, I can see. We that, I that saw out? this. I saw this. I saw this morning that uh, their Indianapolis uh, people are fans are uh, signing petitions to make sure that Ursay uh, uh, doesn't have any ideas of hiring Jeff Saturday as uh, the full time coach. So we'll see what happens I also there, but. Martindale is on to his second interview with the Colts, so there's that as well. Yeah, everybody wonders why he hasn't gotten a coaching head coaching job already. Um, I I don't know why he hasn't gotten one already, but he's highly regarded. Obviously, he did a great job uh, with the Giants. He covered up. You know, the Giants didn't have great defensive personnel, but he did a great job of of covering up any of the deficiencies. So he might get that job. Oh, but I, I have a feeling Peyton's not. I have a feeling Sean Payton will still be on Fox, 
whatever pregame show he's on Fox <laughs> next year. All right, your Jets also replaced their O-line coach. Tell us about him for a quick second. Well, uh, obviously Nathaniel Hackett has been a successful uh, offensive coordinator with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then uh, the last two years before this past season in Green Bay, uh, they averaged 32 points a game, and both years Aaron Rodgers won most valuable player. So a lot of, as we know, you know you've seen it, a lot of these coordinators, when they become coaches, really can handle the stress of being a head coach, the stress and the detail of, a, of coaching an NFL team, which, in my opinion, is the toughest head coaching job of the four major sports. Um, so uh, it seems like everybody's giving the Jets thumbs up on, on Nathaniel Hackett, and uh, we'll see what happens. Does this mean he's going to bring Aaron Rodgers to uh, the Jets? I don't know. That uh, was floating one, around. I'll say that much. Yeah. That was that right. idea was floating. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> well, um, maybe it's going to happen. I don't know. I guess they might talk about it. But the thing is, and you could see it with the Buffalo Bills. The Bills took a little bit of a step back this, uh, this year, and it's not because they lost this past Sunday. You saw the week before with the Dolphins. You saw um, that last regular season game. With New with New England when they, when they were trying to get the uh, number one seed, uh, they, there was something off about Buffalo this year. Yes, they had some injuries to their defensive backfield, but uh, their running game was eh, okay. Um, I think too much pressure was put on Josh Allen. I think they depended on Josh Allen too much. Uh, we all thought Gabriel Davis after that tremendous postseason he had last year was going to become a superstar and the uh, superstar tandem between him and, and uh, Diggs didn't happen. He was okay. Gabriel Davis was, was okay. Um, so they took a step backwards. But what, I, what I'm trying to get to, your window of opportunity in the NFL is very, very short. So if the Jets can get Rodgers, even for two years, I think they should do it. You don't know what's going to happen, One, and especially when you have a young core, once they come out of their rookie contracts, you have to pay them, and you may not be able to pay them to fit into your cap. Um, so if the Jets have a chance to get a quarterback to push them to the next level, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or somebody else, I think any NFL team has to do it. You've got to seize the moment. I 100% agree with you. So where, you know, we already talked about the Super Bowl possibility here, but where do the New York teams go on the whole? Because I think both sides are frustrated. I think the Jets are frustrated with Wilson. I think the Giants have a lot of options. Do they give Saquon a whole bunch of money and hope he's healthy like he was this year and a predominantly unhealthy career? And do they trust Jones with the ball moving forward? You think they do, but... It seems like Sherwin's going to have a lot of decisions to make here, doesn't it? He has a lot of decisions to make. And uh, obviously they'll work it out with Jones. The thing is you don't want Jones to to soak up money on the cap. Um, but uh, they, have to sign, they have to sign Daniel Jones. As far as Barkley, in his first nine games this year, he averaged 103 yards a game. His last nine games, he averaged 54 yards a game. Um, so that's a telltale sign. The Giants apparently, allegedly, supposedly, 
offered him $12.5 million a year that he turned down, I guess, late in the regular season. Um, I don't know. Maybe they should uh, franchise him. And I think it's $11 million, which means they would, they would have him for one year. But that, the Barkley situation, from a giant standpoint, it, it's a tough one. It, it, it's a tough one. Uh, I would be careful there. If they you do not want a Todd Gurley long-term contract that, that handicapped the Rams for a while. Um, it's even Ezekiel Elliott got a lot of money. We see, like I said, we've seen how he's still an effective back, but he's not playing at that, that money level when uh, the Cowboys first gave him that money. Running backs are very, very tricky. It's very tricky. All right, let's switch topics and stay in Philly, though, because a kid, an athlete I grew up watching, and I actually have a Philly's jersey, is now a Hall of Famer. And I know people are surprised about this, but Scott Rowland getting the nod this week. Look, uh, he was a solid third baseman. He was just a solid athlete and a good human being. I mean, uh, there are some that say he didn't have Hall of Fame numbers. What do you think, Lou Terminello? What, What do you think about... Philly getting that win even before the title game this week. Um, Scott Rowland was an excellent ball player. My opinion, he is not a Hall of Famer. I never thought of him as a Hall of Famer. Obviously, he made it. And, you know, I was watching um, the announcement the other night, and the writers were all gushing about, like, they just voted in uh, Mike Schmidt. He's a good ball player. He had a nice career. But it's just strange how Baseball Rights Association have totally changed the criteria and kind of lowered the bar. I mean, I think they've overanalyzed analytics, defensive metrics, all these analytics. I, like I said, very good player. Uh, But what did he do that was outstanding? I'll give you a guy that they never talk about. Never. Probably should be in the Hall of Fame. Bill Madlock. Bill Madlock uh, played in the 70s and 80s. He won four batting titles. He batted, in his four batting titles, he batted between 323 and 354. Uh, He struck out 510 times. That's 900 less times than Roland struck out. Um, He played on the 79 World Series champion Pittsburgh Pirates. This guy doesn't get a smell. Jeff Kent doesn't, I mean, doesn't get a smell. Uh, uh, Kent, just an outstanding player. Seven out of eight years, he drove in over um, 100 run RBIs. The one year he missed, he drove in 93. Uh, He got all those big hits playing on all those contending San Francisco Giant teams with with bonds, uh, I can't. I, is Scott Rowland a better player than than uh, Jeff Kent? He's not, in my opinion. I, he's not, and and Jeff Jeff Kent is now off the ballot. His ten years are over, so he has to go in through that screwball uh, old timers committee, old era players committee, you know, modern eras committee. That you know, it, it's just like well, we're making up. It's like a chance to make up for the writer's mistakes. I don't. I, I just don't get it. And you know, here's something that that uh, most people don't know. 
only 39% of the people in the Hall of Fame, 39.6% to be exact, in the Hall of Fame right now, were voted by the baseball writers. The other 60.4% were voted in by these cockamamie uh, veterans committee, uh, new era player committee. And that's how Harold Baines got in. Harold Baines has been in, then Bill Madlock, then Jeff Kent, then Keith Hernandez, then Steve Garvey. How could Steve Garvey not be in the Hall of Fame? Steve Garvey batted 338 postseason. He played in 55 postseason games. He played for those great Dodger teams in 77, 78, you know, right through 81 when they uh, won the World Series in 81. He played on the, uh, the, in the World Series for the Padres team that lost to the Tigers. How could Steve Garvey not be in the Hall of Fame? I know there's no way he can compare to Roland defensively. Roland was a tremendous defensive third baseman. And Roland was very good. Don't get me wrong. I just I just don't understand. I don't understand how they. Some guys get in. Some guys don't get in. It's no longer the Hall of Fame, in my opinion, is no longer a special place. I mean, again, we like Mike Mussina. Was he a Hall of Famer? Really, Mike Mussina's a Hall of Famer. I mean, we like Jim Todd. Are we ever going to see them vote in multiple multiple guys at the same time, or is it all going to be one at a time now? This is what it feels like the trend is, and I know it's. The steroid balance, you will. Right. But I know it's, that is the trend. But I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to give you the next, the next guy that they're going to, they're, they're going to push through. They're going to push through Todd Helton. Todd Helton really is a scary, as a Hall of Fame candy. Uh, he batted like 340 in, in Coors Field and batted like 285 on the road. His splits are terrible, even with home runs. I can't vote for a guy who who uh, uh, plays in high altitude, and that, that helps offense. I can't. He was a fine player, but that's it. I mean, if he plays an entire career in Cleveland or in New York, not in Colorado, I wonder if he would have those statistics. Just, it, it, it's just weird. And, again, me, maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, being old-fashioned here. A lot of it has to do with the eye test. When you look, you look at Mike Trout, Hall of Famer. When you there are certain guys. When I was watching Tom Seaver and Bob Gibson and Juan Marichal, Pedro Martinez, Hall of Famer. The eye test. If you really have to think long, um, it's 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 tough. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you another guy that that these writers are going to try to really push through, and he is not a Hall of Famer because next year is his first year of eligibility. Chase Utley, a very good player. He is not a Hall of Famer. They're going to come up with all these metrics. There's going to be, and, and I'm probably missing a guy or two, with all these metrics that they're going to analyze. He's gonna, also a analytics. Yes, he was. He was a hard-nosed player. And an excellent player. But I guess that hasn't stopped them before, right? I mean, that hasn't stopped the, them before. Now, it is kind of sad that... Um, I also don't think the talent field is diminished. I just think the ballot is just going a certain way that is is maybe not to the fans' liking. I know purists like Howie Rose don't understand why, you know, Roland's in there. I'll tell you that much. So they're the purists of the game. But uh, hopefully so. And I'm just thinking back to the 90s and 
watching all these guys. And I don't know. I just think there there needs to be what is that? There needs to be um, maybe some more standards in there, or maybe different voters. I don't know what the answer is, right? Well, again, the New York Post, 10 guys who vote for the Hall of Fame. And to, vote, to be eligible to vote for the Hall of Fame, you have had to cover major league, at least 100 Major League Baseball games for 10 consecutive years. But the New York Post has 10 guys, 10 writers, who, uh, who vote. There are other newspapers that don't allow their writers to vote at all. But how could... Could so many guys from one town be on the ballot? If that's not going to skew the ballot, what is? I mean, it's it, to me, it, it, the voting system needs to be really looked at. You know, that's, where that's, else that's do you want to go? Because I, I want to ask you about this, and uh, I feel like baseball is still we're still waiting until spring training, which is a month, and and then the games start and. Uh, I'm hoping Gary Cohen gets on the mic. I'm not sure how he's doing, but I know they've had some health issues over the last few months. Hope he's doing well. But um, I want to ask you about a blog I wrote, which was, you know, do we feel helpless as a sports fan? I feel like this is why we talk about it, because we can't literally put on the pads or put on the helmet and go out and bat for the guy. And, by the way, you try and take a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, right? I mean, it's just... The guys that call up sometimes sound pathetic, but when you realize why they call these sports stations, you get it because they're helpless. Um, you are you are correct. Uh, <laughs> it, you you put it a very way. Uh, hey, I'm a sports fan. You know that. You're a sports fan. Uh, anybody who's involved in sports, a sports fans, whether you're you work in. Uh, uh, for corporate a corporate sales department, or you work in the media department, or you work in the public relations department, we're all sports fans. We knew early in our in our our lifetime that uh, we couldn't hit a curveball or fastball or hit a jump shot, so we want to get involved some way, either as a fan or get involved in the business. But you are right; we do feel helpless, um, and we do take it to heart. And uh, sometimes. You know that's why you have some of these, these crazy fans and crazy hosts on on sports talk radio because they're sports fans and uh, they're just venting. But it, sometimes, well, you saw you saw what happened uh, on Monday after the Cowboys lost. They show that montage of uh, fans just crying. Uh, one guy uh, uh, smashed his TV in. Uh, another gentleman actually took his TV out of his house put it in the driveway uh, and ran over the television, his flat screen TV. I mean, oh, my gosh, because uh, he was so frustrated at the Cowboys losing. Um, so, yes, it gets frustrated, frustrating. I could tell you one thing, and I have gone through frustrating times with the teams I root for, but I've never thrown my remote, I felt like it, or, uh, tear, or tore apart the TV. But, yes, you do feel helpless while you're watching whether it's a basketball, a hockey, uh, um, a football game, or a baseball game. You know, just talk about the four major sports. Yes, Alex, you do feel helpless. You feel helpless. You know, you can't even really get in the coach of a mindset of a coach. I mean, yes, we all agree that doing a fake punt on fourth and nine at your own end was the reason why I think Joe Judge got fired as a Giants quarter uh, coach. But in real situations, we can't be in the coach's mind either. But yet we try so hard, don't we? 
we, we try so hard to be in the coach's mind. And the other thing is we think these coaches and players are programmed. How could they do this? How could they, how could they make this mistake? The reason they make the mistake is because they're a human being, just like we make mistakes in our jobs, and they, and they have the whole world watching them, both in the stadium and on television, and the media is going to be critical of them afterwards. It's a tough job whether you're a player or a coach. Very tough. One guy that is on the ballot, I believe, and one guy that is a mentor for looking at strike three is one Carlos Beltran, and I can't let go of that because you know, here's a guy standing in against, uh, I can't believe I'm saying his name, but Wainwright, right? And he looks he was at a rookie. strike. Right. In game, you know, in game seven, everybody vilifies him. But I'm like, well, hey, Looper gave up a homer, uh, or Wagner Looper gave up a homer in the top of the ninth, Yadier Molina, that things were just falling apart. But to castigate a guy like that, as I say, you try and dig in against an Adam Wainwright, you know, and I just say it. it it didn't feel right. The blame fell to him. Let me put it that well, way. Well, and, well. First of all, a, a couple things. The guy who gave up the home run in the top of the ninth inning was Aaron Heilman. Oh, Heilman. Uh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. By the way, Scott Rowland was the guy who hit the ball. Hit the ball that uh, uh, Ende Chavez great catch on. I'm almost sure it was Scott Rowland. Huh. Ende Did Chavez made that. Oh, yeah, that incredible yeah. catch sure. over the uh, over the left field fence. But in the bottom of the ninth inning, first of all, uh, it's only the stupid media that that uh, remembers that at bat. If Carlos Beltran gets in the Hall of Fame, and in my opinion, I love Carlos Beltran, great center fielder, great base runner, great switch hitter, high, uh, high baseball IQ. But one of the reasons he's going to get into the Hall of Fame, because he's a, he had a great postseason career. He, had, he was great for the Mets in 2006. He was outstanding for the uh, Astros two years earlier. Um, so, uh, you know, looking for that final at bat, that's just media nonsense, in my opinion. <laughs> Do you think Bartman is is at fault too? I mean, the the Cubs blew a seven run lead as well that whole game, which people seem to forget. But you know. That's that's right. Well, Bar- I mean, Barton makes for good, good theater. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't remember every play in that game, but didn't uh, the uh, Cubs infield botch a double play? That would have gotten them out of that inning. And uh, they never yeah, got the third out. Right, there was a double play that they, that, that they botched. So, uh, again, it's not Barton's fault. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> You know, but again, it's great. It makes for a great 30 for 30 on ESPN. And uh, I don't even know. I wonder where Bartman is these days. I don't even know. I think he's really still under witness protection. But I brought up the Mets.com uh, and MLB.com saying is right the next third base, next Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, is he a Hall of Famer for, obviously for the Mets, but, but overall, can he go to Cooperstown? Will he go to Cooperstown? He was on his way to going to Cooperstown, and he was on a fast path to Cooperstown before he started suffering the cracked vertebrae in his back and started suffering those horrendous injuries. Uh, He was an analytic whiz kid um, before analytics were even popular. If he didn't get hurt and he continued on the trajectory that he was going, he was a definite Hall of Famer. 
And uh, even now, who would you take, Scott Rowland or, or, or David Wright? I'd say David Wright. But I'm going to tell you, Alex, because of his injuries, he's not a Hall of Famer, unfortunately, David Wright. And I love the guy, but uh, he just had too many injury-plague seasons, and that's too bad. Let's go further into the island because one of our buddies, Lou Lamarello, who we both know, is really feeling the heat as his Islander GM. And is there a good reason for that? I mean, this team is not where I think the fan base expected two years into UBS Arena, that's for sure. You are 100% right. I, and I think the fans have a legitimate right to at least voice their displeasure Hall of Fame general manager, I'm just surprised that he didn't upgrade the roster. The, the Islanders were the only one of the 30 teams this year that did not sign a free agent during this free agency period. Um, their problems are still the same as even when they got to the conference finals two years in a row. And as we said, if they had won, especially the second year, if they had won uh, uh, game seven, they would have beaten Montreal for sure, and they would. And Mr. Lamorello would have had his fifth, his fourth cup. Um, but uh, Alex, it's very simple. They're three for fifty-nine uh, uh, on the power play. Three for their last fifty-nine. Their power play is pathetic and has been pathetic, and it's the reason why uh, they didn't advance to the finals a couple of years ago, even when they had the terrific team. There's they're slow. They have inconsistent goal scorers. Uh, they, they, their team speed is not there. This is a speed league now. This is a, a league where you have to have snipers. I, they probably were counting on, and so was, and I could say from afar, so was I, guys like Oliver Wallstrom and Anthony Bavillier, they expected these young guys to come to the next level offensively, and they haven't. Um, so they they have issues. They have some issues there. And if you believe what you hear from the hockey uh, scouts, the Islanders' uh, prospects are in the lower third of the, of the league. So the team, you know, the players that they drafted, the players that are still in junior that they hold rights to, and at Bridgeport. So yeah, they they have issues. I, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, this last 11-game stretch of 1-7-3 and three is probably going to finish them off. And that's going to be two years at UBS, two years where they didn't make the playoffs, and the Eastern Conference is very, very tough. Well, then you look at the Garden, and the Rangers should have won against the Leafs. So I wasn't feeling well this week, as you know, and I went to sleep after the second period thinking, well, everything will be fine. Then they wake up, they lose an overtime to the Leafs, and that's been – that will be the downfall of the Rangers overall because they've lost so many games in overtime. But before that, they give up the game like with seconds to go in regulation, and that's been a problem all year. And that still feels like it's on Galan. I know he's still coaching, but that's on Galan for giving up those games because maybe he's not helped coach them to the end of the game. I don't know how to explain it. It just feels like that's his responsibility to get them to shore up the game, is it not? Well, I, w- I would say yes. I would I would agree with you. Now, do they rely on Shesterkin too much because they know they have this amazing goaltender to cover up for their mistakes? If they if that's their mindset, uh, they're going to get burned. I mean, against Toronto, uh, late in the third period, when uh, there was Criders got lost somewhere on the ice and that led to a goal, 
And then in overtime, and yes, it's three on three, but who I think is a tremendous player, uh, was daydreaming. And, uh, you know, uh, Matt Marner, Mitch Marner, who is a spectacular player and underrated, uh, there's so many good offensive players on the Leafs, you know, just took advantage of him, cut the net, and the game was over. And then, of course, today you find out that uh, Austin Matthews will miss some time, which is a big blow because right now you've got the Leafs sort of in the thick of things, don't you? Yes, uh, that that's a big blow. Good thing it's only three weeks. Uh, the Leafs seem to be better defensively than they were uh, last year and in the past. But for the Maple Leafs, the pressure is going to build in game in game one of the first round. Nothing that they do in a regular season, whether they uh, win the Atlantic Division or finish second or third, where, wherever whatever happens in the regular season means nothing. The pressure on the Toronto Maple Leafs will be in the playoffs. They have to break this long streak of not winning a playoff series. And when you have guys like Austin Matthews and John Tavares and Mitch Marner and William Nylander, among others, you can't have another first-round loss. And when you look at some of their recent first-round losses, they've been abysmal. I mean, they blew a 3-1 lead to Montreal two years ago. They were so far superior to Montreal. Uh, They blew a 3-1 lead to Boston. Um, a couple of years back, it's, uh, they got knocked out by Columbus in the bubble a couple of years ago. So it's, the least pressure is all going to be on, on game one, round one. And it looks like it could be Leafs and Tampa again if they don't finish first. And it looks like they're not because Boston never loses. So Leafs-Tampa, they lost in seven games to the to Lightning last year. The, t- the pressure is going to be immense. And if you think media pressure, you know, we live in New York, and we see media pressure on our teams. But the media pressure on the Toronto Maple Leafs in Ontario, in Toronto, is incredible. Which is like the problem with the hockey, as far as I can tell. I mean, it's it's like the crown jewel of hockey because the Hall of Fame's up there. It's Toronto. And, oh, by the way, the Maple Leafs have not had one successful playoff round in I don't know how many years, right? I mean, it's been a long it is, time they- years. And they haven't won, and they haven't won the Stanley Cup, or haven't even been to the Stanley Cup Finals since 1967. Uh, so that, that, especially when their rival, the River, uh, in Quebec, Montreal, has been to the finals many times, has won many cups since 1967, and uh, you know that's another town where the media is relentless on their hockey teams. I mean, those are two tough places to play. And if you're not performing, oh, boy. All right. Well, I want to get to the, the hardwood for a second. I know we got to we, – we, I feel like the Devils are still humming along, so we'll get to them next series. But I, I want to ask you this. As your time in the Nets organization, how many times did you have courtside seats? I got to know. Well, uh, <laughs> well, usually for home games, you know, I was working, so sometimes I would – I would take a break and I would sit down and watch a little a, a quarter or two. And the court court or the seat. guy would step on the court, right? You never ordered Uber Eats or had the opportunity to do Uber Eats as the game's going on. That's where I'm getting. No, at. no, that that, that 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 never that never happened. Uh, uh, and we had a pretty good food service at at the at the Meadowlands, and uh, the courtside seats. We had. Uh, 
courtside food service, but they never walked. They never walked onto the court like what happened in Pittsburgh at at the at Duquesne University <laughs> the other night. Absolutely hilarious, and the guy looked clueless. Like he just looked for the guy, and I'm like, who ordered this food? Although I could tell you a story of how the Queens College baseball team ordered food to the bullpen mid-game, and I'm like, these guys are absolutely crazy. I'm well, <laughs> that that is crazy. But yes, when you look at that video and you see the uh, uh, when you see the uh, the Uber Eats driver walking on the court, I mean, he is oblivious to the fact that an NCAA Division One basketball game is going on the court. It was almost like a prank. It looked like a prank at first. I have no other details on it, but looking at that, looking at that video, that was incredible. That, that never happened to me at the Nets, my friend. <laughs> well, I can tell you one embarrassing story that happened to me is I, I did not eat well back in the day. And as you know, um, Mr. Katz had my dad and I front row, like courtside for a couple of games. One game, we uh, I did not eat my food well, so here I am in front of AI and Jason Kidd chucking up my food. That was that was fun. Oh wow! Well, I I I missed that. I I I missed that. So uh, so uh, I did not eat treats after that one. I'll tell you that. Well, uh, yeah, but that was pretty funny the other night at at Duquesne. I mean, that's crazy. I mean that. That will live on for a while. That, uh, I wonder how many uh, how many uh, looks uh, they've gotten on, uh, on that video. Put Duquesne on the map. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and it definitely. I didn't see Uber Eats react to it either. I haven't seen a response from them either. So um, Uber Eats, just kind Uber of Eats should give oh. that guy should put that guy in a commercial. Walk aimlessly into the NCAA tournament. Uh, right. <laughs> Hey, Lou, always a pleasure, man. And we will do more next week. There's always ground to cover. We're still in the slog of the Big East, so we'll catch up again on that. Um, But, again, NFC title game, AFC title game, you're going Bengals and Eagles. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm favoring Bengals Bengals and Eagles. And this is a man who hates to make predictions. Yeah, I hate to make predictions because I really do. But I'm favoring Bengals and Eagles, my friend. Well, we and if it see comes, how, if it, if it, I'm sorry, if it comes up Niners and uh, Chiefs, we're gonna, it's going to be a great Super Bowl. Either way, any matchup, like I said, the Super Bowl is going to be great. And I hear one Joe Montana works for the Chiefs, so how about that? Oh, I didn't even know that. That's what uh, that a certain radio station told me on Instagram that he works on with the Chiefs as their pre. I didn't know that was the case, but that's interesting. Well, I mean... Uh, not to, not to uh, one last thing, not too critical of announcers. I just hope Tony Romo calms down a little bit this weekend. Last weekend, he, he, even he got to me. I mean, he's just all over the place. Well, not only all over the place, he thinks he, he thinks he knows every play down in the science. I think that kind of, I don't know, it just bothers me sometimes the way he analyzes the game, I'll tell you that much. So It does. I agree. Cause he, last, last week, I thought, I thought he was... I thought he had a terrible game last week. But well, he and Dak are only in the postseason, so there's that also. <laughs> That's it, yeah. All right, Lou, on that note, we will talk to you next week. We'll see what the All week right, unfolds. Alex. And, uh, yeah, this is, I don't even know what's 
I don't even know what to expect. It's just going to be, uh, I think it'll be a shootout both games. I got a feeling. So That's a possibility, yep. And we'll keep an eye on the, uh, do we call it hot stove or the uh, or the thing that we make food with that keeps it hot because they're banning hot stoves now? So what, what do we, what, oh, that's right, yeah, I can't say gas stove anymore. So uh, well, we're going to have to come up with a new name for the hot stove league. <laughs> exactly. We'll figure that out next week. All right, on Terminal Estate. Thanks as always, my friend. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate the time. That's Lou Terminello. Usually we have him on Monday, but things got just around, and he's here right before the title game. Perfect timing for Lou, and uh, thanks for listening on the Alex Garrett Sports Spotlight.